Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of NYY Takes, a pinstripe perspective podcast. And as always, I have a question to ask. Yankees fans, are we happy today? We are ecstatic. We are ecstatic bunch there, Robert. I would say ecstatic is a little bit of a stretch. Um, given the last two days, happy, yes, for sure. Um, but at the end of the day, that only means we split with the Mets home field. So I don't really know in terms of how we can like measure up the two teams other than it's very clear that the Yankees are once again a very streaky bunch of baseball players. And when we were at City Field, we were in the bad stretch. And last night was some type of good stretch. Maybe it's a few games, maybe it's longer, maybe it's another 13-game winning streak that happens in August, which wouldn't be the first time, as we mentioned last week. But overall, I would say feeling pretty good heading back to the West Coast, um, hopefully to beat up on some mediocre American League teams. But I cannot complain about the past couple of days. The past um, week or so, I would say it's more of a mixed bag. Um, the Tampa series was brutal. The Toronto series was brutal until Josh Donaldson pretended he was back, but he's not. And I have more on my whole stadium experience from the past week uh, that we will get to later in the episode. But Coles, I hear that you have some stories about this as well. Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, to answer my own question, uh, I'm definitely happy. Les, I am surprised to hear ecstatic considering how things Eating have gone mess. overall for the pet true you know that that actually is very true because i remember last time we did a podcast before a met series you were very very adamant about how important it is to beat the mets now i've never actually felt so strongly about the mets like Derek jeter said it's just the mets but what is it that drives you to just want to beat the crap out of them so bad well, I hear about it when he, mm-hmm. <laughs> friends from college, they'll tell me, you know, I, I heard about it up until the beginning of this season, uh, this series, you know, um, a couple of friends of mine from college. I'm in a group chat with them. I hear about it when the Mets beat the Yankees. My sister-in-law, Regina is a huge Mets fan is very much an anti Yankees fan. So the last few days have been pretty fun for me. Um, you know, so, uh, one of, uh, one of my coworkers, is also a big Mets fan, so getting getting to troll as many Mets fans as possible, that really makes a good makes for a good couple of days for me. Yeah, that's definitely valid. The, most of the Mets fans I know are like really self deprecating and are always living in fear of the Atlanta Braves. So you actually don't hear a lot of noise from them because they know in the back of their head the Braves are winning the National League East this year. Only a game and a half behind the Mets right now. Well, that has very scared. I don't have that many Mets fans in my life. All of them seem to take pride in beating the Yankees or when the Yankees do well. And I just don't feel that way about the Mets at all. I feel I, I, I actually have this very rooted take about the Mets. I simply want the Mets to be relevant. If they're amazing. Great. That's really good for the city. It's good for sports talk radio. It's good for entertainment. It's good for the general vibes. It's good for the Mets. It doesn't really matter until we meet each other in a potential subway series. On the flip side, I also thoroughly enjoy when the Mets are back to their, you know, 
to the Mets ways of the Wilpon heyday, just having scandal after scandal, embarrassment after embarrassment, collapse after collapse. Well, I mean, it could have been, you know, I mean, it was basically the July and August New York Yankees. Those were the days when I really enjoyed the Mets the most, just when, again, they were creating fantastic content, creating really fun vibes around the city, but for a completely different reason. Um, I guess I would prefer that because it's better to laugh at, but at the same time, what I do care about most is just the Mets being relevant, the Mets being a team to talk about, and this year is one of the great years because actually they're a really good baseball team and I love the sport of baseball and the Mets being good is good for baseball. So you know what? Good for everyone. Good for the Mets. Good for their fans. And you know what? Good for me too. <laughs> yeah, definitely made. I mean, the Mets being good, the Mets and Yankees being good at the same time makes for some very electric subway series games. I mean, the stadium last night was alive from the first pitch to the last pitch. So, and it felt like a playoff game. So I can only imagine what that would feel like in a world So here's another matchup. interesting that, that thing that I noticed because I also went to one of the games at City Field in a, in the center field standing room and I kind of roamed around the concourses for the entire game. I noticed that the Yankees fans at City Field weren't really so obnoxious about you know cheering on the Yankees starting a let's go Yankees chant um but the Mets fans from first pitch yesterday were really trying to get their two cents in. And it was a great crowd for both sides. The Yankees fans shut them up pretty quickly. And the result of the game kind of speaks for itself. But I did find it interesting to compare Mets fans behavior at Yankee Stadium and Yankees fans behavior at City Field. Um, what do you guys make of that? I wasn't really sure. Um uh I was, was definitely, I didn't go to one of the city field games. I, I was definitely pretty surprised by how loud and vocal the Mets fans were last night. I was, I was, that was something that from the beginning of the game, I was like, oh, whoa. Um, but I mean, I like it. And I think Mets fans will naturally, I think that'll naturally happen because they are, you know, they have, they suffer from little brother syndrome. So they feel like they need to really make up for it a little bit with their, with their cute little voices. That video, by the way, I don't know if you guys saw the video of that Mets fan who was recording himself during the judge at bat, trying to start no. a let's go Mets chant and, you know, yelling, he's going to strike out. And then on the pitch where he was recording, judge hit that 450 foot bomb that went like 118 miles an hour off his bat. I mean, that it could have been me. That's fantastic. It could have been me. could have been you. But I was sitting right next to you when that happened. So it wasn't me. Yeah. It was not. I can confirm. But anyway, back to what we wanted to talk about with stadium experience. First, I took the subway from work, and I usually take the four train to Yankee Stadium. Because I was leaving directly from work, I took the D train. And I have to say, if you are someone that has only ever taken the D train and does not take the four train, you are missing out. Because there is no experience like the experience from 149th Street to 161st and River on the four train where you go from inside to outside of the tunnel and you see the stadium in front of the train. Nothing matches that. And then the energy of walking out of the D train and then basically just walking up a normal subway station, no fun, no magic there. And to add to that, you don't get the added effect of walking out of the four train and literally descending upon the Billy's rooftop. Yes. Which, especially last night, was electric. 
See, I didn't get to see that because I didn't ta- I didn't take the Fortran. Also, by the way, the line at Billy's at about 6.15 p.m. was one of the longest lines I've ever seen in New York City. <laughs> it went all the way down River Avenue and then took a right on 161st and then went halfway down that block, too. Yeah, oh, wow. I mean, it was a complete mess getting into the stadium last night. So anyway, I get off the subway. And I am walking across the crosswalk in front of Hard Rock Cafe, in front of the, the Hard Rock restaurant that's out there. I think that's Gate 6. And there's this really nice BMW, like whatever BMW sports car there is that some rich guy would have. And it pulls up next to me, like, within a foot of, like, the side of my knee. And I'm, like, ready. I'm ready to turn around and, like, get mad at whoever's driving this car. I look through the windshield, and it's just Louis Severino driving. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't really know what to do, so I just, like, pointed at him and was like, oh, my God. (laughs) It's Sevy. So that was crazy. Did he apologize? No, he actually looked very frantic, to be honest. He looked like well, he had a place to be. Well, well, well can, you, can you also say what time it was? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it was like 7 p.m. Yeah, so, like, what, what, what's the deal? Was he running late? Was he allowed to be running late? Like, he, was I either running late or, he was either running but, late or leaving. Les, did you watch the game on TV with Seve in the dugout? I didn't see him in the dugout. I did watch it on TV. I didn't see him in the dugout, but that, that doesn't seem unusual. He go. He probably went, got some treatment, did what he had to do, left, came back. Yeah, or, probably, or yeah, or he just left. He might have just been leaving. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I mean, he's not doing a rehab or anything right now, right? No, he's. No. I think he's throwing a bit, but not not anything too serious. Do we know where he lives? Maybe he was stuck in traffic. That wouldn't be shocking. Yeah, I don't know. I've no, I have no idea where he lives. I'm not even going to speculate on where he lives. He probably didn't want to look for. He probably looked frantic because he didn't want to be on the back page of the post for hitting Robert Cole. <laughs> I mean, it was, I, I was like, you know, getting hit by Luis Severino might be, you know, good. If there's someone good to get hit by, it's probably Luis Severino, right? You get a really good insurance claim on that. You're doing all right. He also looked pretty frantic because it was so freaking jammed getting into the stadium, which leads me to my next point. Getting into Yankee Stadium is like what I imagine it's like to enter the gates of hell. (laughs) It is unimaginably horrible. Add on to the fact that they shut down the stairs at Babe Ruth Plaza. What? So, so if you can like imagine, if you can like imagine Babe Ruth Plaza with like those big concrete staircases going up either side, shut them down. They had cops surrounding it, yellow tape, whatever. I don't know if something happened. I didn't ask. Yeah, that wasn't the case when I was walking in. And then you keep walking towards gate four. And you know how, you know, there's kind of like that railing wall kind of next to basically as you go, like you're walking up the sidewalk, but there's like a railing. It yeah. looked like wars, like World War Z. People were like scaling the fence to get over and into one of the lines to get into the stadium because otherwise you'd have to walk like all the way to gate four and then back down to gate six if you want to, if you like had to get, get to gate six or something. I wish I had taken a video because like people were like helping each other up. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was insane. It was, it was an insane, insane experience. So off the bat, I've 
had a bad subway experience, almost got hit by Luis Severino in his BMW, and watched people scale a wall, looked like they were fighting for their life to get into a freaking baseball game. Oh, and when I got to the ticket thing, the scanner, it didn't work originally. Oh, no. Oh, that happened to me. That, yeah. Not, said, not, not last night, but that happened to me um, opening weekend. It said, like, already scanned. Twice. Oh, that didn't happen to me. And I was like, well, this is not good. And then the, the, lady, the, the lady at the ticket kiosk was actually very nice. She calmed me down. She said, don't worry. This happens a lot. Third time was a charm there. Anyway, continuing on on this, on this, on this ridiculous night of pretty weird experiences. I think this is the last one that I have. So I'm sitting in my seats. And in the section I was sitting in, like, usually there's just kind of like open seats. So like, you know, where, where my seats are, the row in front, for whatever reason, never has anyone sitting in them. So like, I'm in row two. So I go up to row one, because there's no one ever there. So like, usually my dad and I just move up a row and sit there. Now, some some kid comes down, like, I don't know, 15 years old, comes down, sits behind us. And this Sat was when you me. had, yeah, this yeah. is what, right after you had joined us, Tal. And then two other, like, older guys come and sit next to me and my dad. That's besides the point. Just giving some context. Within that half inning, or between half innings, this guy next to me, the older guy next to me, stands up, whips out, like, one of these huge vape rigs. Like, you know, like, a box. And just starts blowing ridiculous clouds which which is like pretty ballsy on his part i mean it's obviously not allowed and most of the time when i see like you know people our age doing that in the stadium they're they're very good at quote unquote ghosting it as the kids like to say but anyway this guy is 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 you know vaping away and the kid that sat down next to toe behind us decides to take it upon himself to play security guard so he yells at this guy, no vaping in Yankee Stadium allowed. Guy next to me doesn't really respond. Blows another large cloud. Kid behind me again. Hey, I said there's no vaping allowed. You can't do that here. Guy turns around and does like one of those, huh, what'd you say? Kid says it again and then like completely ignores him. Within a split second, I turn around and this kid has gone up to the top of the section, grabbed the security guard and brought them down. And just pointed at the guy vaping. And then what happens? Nothing, of course. (laughs) Oh, I've seen people get kicked out before. Like, last year and the year before. Nothing happened. I guess if you're a dick, maybe. But, yeah, nothing. I thought he was going to get kicked out. But I think it happens so often at baseball stadiums now that security is just kind of like cut it out and then if they see you doing it again like i've seen someone get kicked out for vaping but it's because like the same guy caught them three times and at some point it's just like all right dude gonna kick you out now but i've never seen someone play or try to pull off a play cop at a stadium and like try to pull off a citizen's arrest for i would have been more okay with it if he wasn't a mets fan very vocally metsy the entire game which kind of made the experience worse also a big spitter. Every time, uh, he, every time he yelled, it was just kind of spraying my dad and I. I'm pretty sure he was there by himself. Oh, no, he was. No parental supervision whatsoever, but clearly he knows all the rules so well that he's well off supervising himself. He does not need a parent. That guy has yeah, read I, every stadium handbook there is. 
There's really not much to say to that story. So, you, so you're telling me he's the guy who will get on a jumbotron and say, during the course of the baseball game, hard hit balls and bats may be hit or thrown into the stands. For everyone's safety, please stay alert he, and be aware of your yeah, surroundings. He, and the most important part, and any guest concerned with his or her seat location may contact any customer guest service representative. See Thank the you funny and thing, enjoy the game. The funny thing that I could have done to really get my money's worth out of this scenario is when the security guard came down, been like, hey, check this guy's ticket. Because that was not his seat. He was sitting in my seat. So I could have, I could have, if I wanted to, been very petty, and gotten a 15-year-old child trying to avoid, uh, enjoy a baseball game kicked out of me or kicked out of their seats and, and gone back to whatever seat he came from. Now that would have been a bad, a bad. I would have felt bad for myself if I did that, but I thought about it. It definitely crossed my mind. That's karma. He deserved that. Karma police catching up on him. No, what he deserved was a, <laughs> a long and arduous game that eventually just led to a Mets loss. <laughs> it was, was kind of nice that um, he was sitting next to us when Judge hit about 453 feet. That was very, very satisfying, yes. And there was no other way I wanted that game to end than the Mets giving every one of their fans in that stadium just enough hope to start believing and then just have it ripped out. There's, no, there's nothing like worse than that as a fan. Hope, 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 hope. Complete letdown. However, as I mentioned earlier, all my self-deprecating uh, Mets fans that I talked to said they are just going to do the thing where they get the bases loaded and then don't score. But Lindor came like a foot away from a go-ahead double. That would have been like a bases-clearing double down the line. And, oof. The we stadium would have be been... today. It would have been, it would have been an interesting vibe at the stadium. I was at the game last year where Pete Alonso hit that go-ahead homer off Chapman. That was, was like, nowhere to be found. Yeah, well, I'm, I have more on that later. Um, that was uh, that was the loudest I had heard an opposing crowd in Yankee Stadium was that Pete Alonso home run last year, and that was like at the height of rock bottom for like the 2021 Yankees. I think that was the game that put them at 500. They were like 41 and 41, I think, through 82 games. I could totally be making that up, but it sounds right. Sounds and that right. was the game where that happened. So that's my stadium experience. Not the best, not the worst. You don't, you don't mind having these experiences, but I got to say, start to finish, exhausting night at Yankee Stadium. Yes. <laughs> So I was going to make this my down of the week, but I guess it's more appropriate to bring this up now. My experience on Friday at the stadium was hands down the worst Yankee Stadium experience of my life. So it was they were giving away the John and Susan bobbleheads and they were they only had 10,000 of them. So my friend and I decided that, OK, we're going to get to this stadium no later than 515. We got to the stadium around 520 or so. I swear on my life, there were about 20,000 people lined up all around the gates. It was wow. incredible. Like, I mean, the, it was one of the coolest bobblehead giveaways they, they've probably done. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Yeah, and check out uh, Pinstripe Perspective on Twitter. I posted a video of all of the sounds that the bobblehead makes. Uh, you are right. Content. It is probably the coolest bobblehead I own thus far. But... 
like you were saying, Cole's like that whole scene out of a movie took place at 520 on Friday night. Um, no idea where any of the lines were going. I'm pretty sure that a line that started outside gate six snaked around all the way to gate two. And they <laughs> didn't open the gates themselves until like 550. And I have no idea why. So there were just literally 20,000 people milling about outside the narrow sidewalks on Yankee Stadium for a solid half hour. No one knew what was going on. People were trying to get in to close gates, whatever. We end up going in through gate two. I'm going to skip the part where I tried to jump over that really thick cylindrical railing, forgot to swing my legs and hit the middle of my back. And my neck is still sore from that. Oh, come on. <laughs> but, um, so we get into gate two. It's all fine. The kid in front of me gets the last bobblehead. <laughs> oh, gate no. two. Obviously, the two of us go into extreme panic mode. I could not imagine getting there at 520 and not getting a bobblehead. Like that, that was already insane. So we start running around the concourse, end up at the Great Hall, gate six, and we start asking, hey, like, can we get a bobblehead? Can we get a bobblehead? Can we get a bobblehead? And there are police officers in security, like defending the ushers, being like, "No, no, you're already in. No bobblehead." We're at like, this Look, point, we don't have it's a not about the bobblehead; it's about your pride at this point. Yeah, and then so finally, and I'm pretty sure it's the same woman that you talked to, Coles, the the Puerto the, the Puerto Rican woman, like who's maybe 75, but super soft spoken and super nice. We, uh, I, I go up to her, and by that time, I had calmed down a little bit. I was like, okay, let's take the cordial approach here. I go, hey, um, it's very clear that we don't have a bobblehead. We're in here. They ran out at the gate that we were at. There are so many right here. Can you please just give us one? And she herself goes up to the people giving out the bobbleheads, takes two, and gives it to us. So thank you. Um, but the fact that I had to argue with six people for a freaking bobblehead, that there were so many of out there and for some reason they had stopped letting people in and get sick so it wasn't like we were trying to fight anyone for this but i don't know what was going on then but the way the yankee stadium staff handled the gate opening and the whole bobblehead giveaway and the fact that for whatever reason maybe they, they appeared to not realize that this would be a very popular giveaway made absolutely no sense so that was my Friday story of an absolute war zone outside Yankee Stadium. And I think regardless, I, it, it, getting into Yankee Stadium this year is no matter what game you go to, and especially Complete if it's like a Red Sox game or whatever, disaster. disaster, get clear. And the clear doesn't matter anymore. Tip. Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah, 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 it does. Because now they have people with iPads actually checking you, like, in the clear line and walking down to make sure you have it. Well, that was part of my terrible experience yesterday is you have a huge freaking crowd forming around the clear line. And it moves so slowly because these pe these poor people, who I don't blame them, have no idea you need to download this clear app to get access. Pull up to the freaking front of the line where the clear people are and they say, do you have the app? And these people say no. And then what do they have to do? Turn back around, go through an entire sea of people just to go stand in an incredibly long line. There is nothing more humiliating than that. That sounds like hell. That I mean, it was. Brutal. Yesterday, as I mentioned, 
is what I imagine the gates of hell look like. But it's it is a it is actually because of a of a and I love that we're getting into like Yankee Stadium hard talk right now because this is something I've experienced for now. Ever since the stadium opened, I was there day one. Whoever thought that it would be like an awesome idea to say, hey, we're going to take where all of the subways exit and just make them all walk right to the front of the stadium so that the only crowded place and the only place where people go in is gate four and gate six and nowhere else. Because who who is going around to the other side of the stadium to get in? No one. So all 50,000 people going to a baseball game are just crushing into this one area. And it's not like that one area is conducive to, you know, a crowd of people either. Like no, the way that it's not the, the way it's that horrible. the way that Babe Ruth Plaza is designed, like whoever whoever designed that deserves an F in terms of urban planning or architectural design F, or whatever the hell F you call that. Minus. F minus. Like it doesn't how means of egress, right? That's what you that 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 that's what terms for like these like little like pathways of entry are called. Um I learned that in fourth grade during a fire drill. <laughs> um but Basically, you have two and a half tiers of platform, like the street level. There's like a little berm um, after one step up uh, uh, on top of the stairs, and then you can slowly make your way up to where the gate, where the gates and the security lines actually are. And it's just a freaking free for all every single time. You have, no, no one, one knows where they're idea. going. No one has any idea where they're going. No one there knows where, no, what lines are for what. There, there is no direction. The people working there have no idea what's going on. The only good thing about going to a Yankee game is that the games are exciting from an atmosphere standpoint. And that's if you're lucky. I mean, that's if they're having a good season. Whereas if yeah. they're having a bad season, it might be easier to get in. But if the Yankees are good, which they are this year. And it's a big game like the Subway Series. You know what? Come playoff time, if you are going to a playoff game, do yourself a favor. Get there two hours before first pitch. And make sure you have the app downloaded. And get the also, clear app downloaded. Because you will be waiting in line until the fifth inning. And the only positive thing I have to say about Yankee Stadium after we were just very negative is great atmosphere. Very loud last night. Been very fun all year. Other than that, F minus. Anything else to add? Not now. We can move on. Poor Les <laughs> is just listen. Poor Les just had to listen to Toe and I completely rant about Yankee Stadium for twenty minutes. Yeah, that was. Uh, listen, you guys have you guys have concerns. You expressed them. This is how you do. This is how you do it. I like and to think of it more. It's less expressing concerns and more airing <laughs> grievances. Keep in mind, you're talking to people, to, to two of us who have, who are very fortunate to go to many games this season. This is also a blessing. Um, I realize I go to a lot of games. Yeah, I, I counted them up last night and it's like 15 already. And I was like, wow, how? I'm, it's just I'm kind easy. of a psychopath. You just, yeah, you, I just, mean, you just buy tickets and you get in the damn subway. Yeah, or you, or, you, or you procure tickets from your people. But yeah. Again, but, yeah, again, I mean, living on the four train is obviously a huge blessing, too, because I just get on and I'm 
at the stadium within 20 minutes. But um, yeah, the more I go to Yankee Stadium, the more I find myself like saying to whomever I'm with, wow, I freaking hate this place. Before I first pitch, it, but obviously. I love it, but I love it. You, you know what? Yes, I hate the place up until I'm in my seat. And then it's great. That's what it is, though, right? I mean, that's what you're paying for. You're paying for the baseball. You're paying for the atmosphere. You're paying to see the Yankees win. People you're not don't paying pay for to the, see food. the <laughs> You are not paying for the food. People don't pay to see the Yankees play. They pay to see the Yankees win. Win. Anyway, completely shifting focus here, because I want to talk about this briefly. The Aaron Boone press conference, where it was, quote, right in front of us. Is that... After well, this is Boone's fourth year as Yankee manager, is yeah. that the? I'll just keep it open ended. Does that moment actually mean anything to you as a Yankee fan? Do you feel any different type of way about Aaron Boone now than you did before that? Especially given the Yankees haven't lost a game since that and are playing pretty inspired baseball despite having no bullpen and dealing with injuries and all of this stuff. Does it give you any more confidence in Aaron Boone as a manager? Do you think the players actually, you know, a lot of big criticisms that the players don't respond to him and he, you know, he's kind of, you know, too loosey-goosey. I mean, anything changed? For me personally, I, I hope, and this came up on the broadcast, like I hope the players saw that side of it. You know, like I I feel like he finally, he's been wearing that slump for so long and he's just, Aaron Boone is the guy that's it's always sunshine and rainbows. You know, like he doesn't he always tries to put a positive spin on everything. That's why I actually stopped watching his press conferences. I got so tired of hearing it. So boring. But it's just so boring hearing the same cliches over and over again. And once you get to a certain age, you don't really need to use the word dudes. But, you know, I I just hope that the players saw it lit a fire, hopefully under their asses and. You know, maybe that's what uh, possibly turned things around, but it definitely, it definitely changed my attitude about it because I just got tired of seeing the guys' press conferences. Yeah, because I mean, last week we were talking about the depositing wins thing. Yeah. Because the Yankees kept losing games, and it felt like they were okay with it. It felt like they were complacent and they were taking out deposits, as Boone called it. Fast forward four days later, after still losing games and. You know, the, your checking account starting to go down a little bit. It was nice to see Boone say, all right, screw this. It's time to, like, be very publicly angry about this. And I think it makes a difference. I think that goes a long way. I think you have to send a public message to people paying attention to your team. We're fucking pissed off, too. He gets the Which is questions. obvious. Yeah, I mean, which is obvious that, you know, obviously he's pissed off. But it's nice to just actually see Boone do it like be publicly really really pissed off and not just say we're close we're turning a corner all this stuff it felt a uh, lot like it felt a lot like the savages in the box rant from a few years ago kind of took it, yeah. at least in terms of you know having some type of slogan that you can point to as Boone motivating the team in some way mm -hmm. um I, I felt like it was for at least certain sections of Yankees Twitter, like they were trying to will it into having that effect. Obviously the difference is, you know, 
Boone actually does quite a bit in terms of defending his players on the field, especially when the strike zone isn't good. He has a pretty high ejection rate, which is surprising for someone you would think of that is of Boone's demeanor. But in terms of, yeah, but I mean, in terms of in the media, um, I don't know. He, he, he feels almost, it feels almost like a managerial version of Derek Jeter in the sense that he doesn't really give a ton of interesting answers. It's all vanilla, except in the during the instances where he needs to defend something. Um, for example, during um, his uh, his appearances on the Michael K show every week, he really hates this term rest roulette that Kayla Greca and Rosenberg used to um, <laughs> basically um, characterize the way the Yankees construct their lineups. Um, so he's defended that all, all year. Um, with the company line, obviously. So, I mean, in terms of the media, I don't know. Um, but he, he's also a former broadcaster himself. He understands how it works. I was fortunate enough to hear him speak at a panel once um, during a, a conference at spring training. And again, it was media, Aaron Boone, like super interesting, really friendly. Um, and I don't know. This was definitely the first time I saw Boone really at least react. And I think the slamming the table was really what got us more than anything else. So I don't know. Maybe he does feel the pressure. I would if I were him. Um, you no, know, he definitely does. But you know it, what? it was it, it was surprising. I don't know if it has an effect per se, but it was surprising. Yeah, you know what? And that's the thing that always bothers me about Boone because he was actually pretty likable when he was in the booth too. Like he gave great insight. He gave, you know, he was enjoyable to listen to. He wasn't boring. He wasn't A-Rod. Like he was actually pretty enjoyable in the booth. And all of that just got flushed down the drain when the Yankees gave him the talking points. And this is how we respond. This is what we, if you want to be the Yankees manager, Brian Cashman is going to dictate a good amount of your strategy. Here's your binder. And this don't, you know, be a player's manager and don't say anything incendiary in the press, but he was so great on TV. And that's what kills me about Boone as a, as a communicator of the post games. Like they're just so boring and just, not interesting to watch anymore. You think you think he'd do better being a former broadcaster and spending all of his life in baseball, but those are just boring as hell to watch. Yeah, well, his job is to be boring to some degree. Certainly, unfortunately, is. That sucks. <laughs> I mean, it'd be nice to. It'd be fun to. It'd be funny to have a manager that just says whatever he wants, but I think it'd be too much of a distraction. Is it time for ups and downs? We can do ups and downs. I think it's time for ups and downs. The title of this podcast will be Yankee Stadium is an F minus. <laughs> oh, I thought Still it would be. I, I thought I thought it would be. I almost got run over by Luis Severino. Ooh, that yes. is probably better. We'll oh, have a yeah, chance to rant about Yankee Stadium in the future. I guarantee it. Oh yeah. That is true. I may never get almost run over by Luis Severino ever again, though. Ups and downs. Toe. Start. My up of the week is Jordan Montgomery. Uh, I knew that was coming. Well, that's good. We have to have a conversation about this. So, uh, per our good friend Bob Nightingale, Jordan Montgomery... After throwing a one-hit complete game shutout last week, a Maddox, mind you, he threw 99 pitches, is now 4-0 with a 
with a 0.35 ERA in his first four starts as a member of the St. Louis Cardinals. The only other Cardinals to do that are someone named Fred Frankhouse. Great name. He did that in 1927. And Harry Gumbert in 1941. So Jordan Montgomery is now a Hall of Famer, very clearly. And he was traded for Harrison Bader. My initial thought on the Jordan Montgomery thing, well, thought based on what has changed since he went to the Cardinals. So for whatever reason, I'm not totally sure why, but the Cardinals must have seen something in Jordan Montgomery's four-seam fastball. Because when he was a member of the Yankees, he did not throw that thing. I think he threw a four-seamer about 7 to 8% of the time. As a St. Louis Cardinal, he is pretty much throwing a four-seam fastball now 35% of the time. My thing with that is I'm interested. I haven't looked deeper into like if the fastball is actually playing. I have no idea. But the Cardinals saw something in Jordan Montgomery that the Yankees didn't, right? Is that what that means? I mean, if they get this guy and they trade away Harrison Bader, who they like, who all of who's like beloved in St. Louis, they say, hey, we think you should be throwing more of these because you're not throwing enough of them. And then he does it and he's been an ace the last four games. Granted, he's played some pretty soft opponents. The Yankees being one of them. I beat you to that toe. Um, it just makes me scratch my head a little bit. Like, what, are we, what are we missing? What was missed with him? That aside, I'm very happy to see him being successful. I want nothing but the best for Jordan Montgomery. Agreed, definitely. And it seems to me like they pulled off the move that the Yankees sometimes do when they get a Clay Holmes from Pittsburgh. And, you know, he's a kind of a middling pitcher over there. And then uh, the Yankees get him, figure, this is what we want you to do. And he becomes successful at it. Cardinals did the same thing with Jordan Montgomery. They figured out, they looked at his numbers, they looked at what works, what doesn't. Stick with this, and it's turned out pretty well for them. Good that for being said, it's a great thing we have Harrison Bader because Aaron Hicks is pretty much no longer a part of this team. Matt Carpenter's hurt. You need to you need you need more defense in the outfield. Bader is now, I think, supposed to come back. There's some been some murmurs today that he's going to be back or ready-ish by like first or second week of September, which would be great. And also, Domingo Herman has not been too bad. I mean, he outdueled Max Scherzer the other night. I don't really think Montgomery would have been much better or would be much better than Domingo has been, save that one terrible start in Houston. Domingo's been fine, completely fine. and He's probably a fifth starter on any other team. So to me, it's a wash between Domingo and Monty for the sake of the season. Yankees are really way ahead in the division. I think it's more valuable to have Bader playing center field all the time for you than having Jordan Montgomery on a playoff roster and maybe not even be used, maybe not even be on a playoff roster and just be chilling in the dugout with the team. 
So I'm not actually like upset at all by this trade. I don't think this means much. I think great. Jordan Montgomery has found success in St. Louis. They really needed someone to add to the rotation and he's been everything that they asked for. Whereas I think once Bader is healthy, he's going to fit a need that the Yankees had. And in the interim, Domingo Herman has basically been equivalent, if not the same to what Jordan Montgomery would have been with the Yankees. So I think everything is okay. And I think we can be happy for our friend Monty. All of those things are true. Concurred. Toe, you're down of the week. So my down of the week was originally going to be the entirety of Friday night from getting into the <laughs> gates, which we covered, <laughs> to the game itself, which um, I frankly like. don't even remember anything that happened ex- outside of Oswaldo Cabrera robbing a home run on the first pitch of the game and me having two full conversations in Section 316 with two separate people while Aroldis Chapman maybe threw two pitches. That's all I remember about Friday's game. Just a horrible experience all around. Worth it for the bobblehead. Terrible experience, though. I'm glad. But my actual down of the week is Frankie Montas. Whoa! Hard disagree, but please continue. So this is more why I'm thinking you don't trade Jordan Montgomery for Harrison Bader and replace him in the number 47 with someone else. Because Frankie Montas, in four starts with the New York Yankees, is 0-1 with a 7.32 ERA and a 4.54 FIP. He has thrown 18, I'm sorry, 19.2 innings in his four starts giving up 24 hits, 16 runs, all of them earned, and only 14 strikeouts. I don't know what's going on, but we're really heading down the path of a Sunny Gray 2.0, another alleged good pitcher from the A's just going horribly when he gets in New York. I know he had some family issues starting uh, when he started his tenure here, and last night he looked pretty good for the first three or four innings or so before completely running out of gas, but... Is it time to be concerned about Frankie Montas? It is the exact opposite. Last night was about as encouraging a start as you can have. Five and two-thirds should have been been six innings if Glaber has half a brain. Yeah, can we talk about that play, too? Yeah, we can. Oh, man. (laughs) Two earned, six strikeouts, only one walk. I mean, he was good last night. And he did a good job of getting through some really tough, sticky situations. In the first inning, he that that flare BS single to Marte. Uh, and then I forget how the second guy got on. You know, he had first and second. Get out of that. He drew a big double play um, on Nito, I think, in like the fourth inning, that the IKF play. I am not in. I am not worried about Frankie Montas. I think his stuff last night looked the best it's looked since he came to the Yankees. Um, his cutter was really playing well, and I think he's someone in a playoff series too, where you know won't necessarily be relying on striking guys out, but forces guys to hit ground balls. Isn't really going to succumb to the long ball very much. Not going to give up a lot of homers. So if the defense is short up, as you would hope, I think Frankie Montas is going to be smooth sailing for the rest of the year. And you mentioned it, Toe, with, I mean, there's the human element with him, right? I mean, he gets traded from Oakland to St. Louis. Or, oh, Jesus. He gets traded from Oakland to the Yankees, 
we wish he got traded to St. Louis. <laughs> and then has to go to St. Has to go to. I, I think his mother passed away. Has or to his, deal with that. It was a family member. Or some family member, a family member of his passes away, has to deal with that on top of being traded, and then has to fly to frickin' St. Louis, Missouri, pitch for the Yankees in 100-degree heat, and then turn around, and then he has a pretty fine start at Fenway Park, five innings, two earned, four Ks, not an easy place to pitch. Goes six innings uh, against the Blue Jays, Giving up six earned runs, not great. Nine ERA, but a 4.42 xFIP. Whatever. It is what it is. And then last night, does well. So I think the results will get better for him. And, I mean, he's on my, he's pretty high up on my trust tree. So I disagree with your down. I've actually time-stamped your, your hate of Frankie Montas, and we will be circling back on this within a month. Time, <laughs> and I don't, I don't time-stamp often, Toe. I don't. But I made a note to do it today. Interesting down. Really wasn't expecting that because he actually, I thought, turned it around last night. Last I mean, wanna, you, do you have a Frankie Montas take? I don't have a Frankie Montas take. I, I, didn't, hadn't, I hadn't given him a whole lot of thought. I thought he looked pretty good last night comparatively to some of the other starts he's had. I, I thought yesterday was kind of a, not so much a make or break, but it was like to Toe's point, it was like, is this really going to be a good deal? But if he came out and got shelled by the Mets, but he didn't. So, yeah, he absolutely should have gone at least six innings. But, you know, Glaber had a brain fart. But he had – I'm I'm happy about him. I still don't think he's a postseason starter. But, wow, you know, well, if you think – if I think in terms of the trust tree, uh, Garrett, Cole, Nestor, and maybe Seve if he's back. It will be interesting to see what happens with those four in terms of, I don't really know how much length you'll be able to get out of Seve, but I think the plan is to stretch him out to be a normal starter again. Yeah. But it'll be nice to have four starters. Yeah, we'll see if he has enough time to stretch out fully. Yeah. In terms of like being able to be back, the minor league season will be pretty much over. But I mean, I guess he can start in a rehab kind of early uh, because he seems like he's on track to be back. But again, he's eligible to come off the IO in only three weeks. So it's not like he's, there's a ton of time to begin with. Um, I will say about Montas though. Um, last night was encouraging. I agree. I, and I mean, I don't know. It's one of those things where you expect, maybe I was expecting too much from what was supposed to be the prize deadline acquisition for the Yankees. But yeah, I'm, we'll see. I mean, it was, he, he's a, he was down more for the collectiveness of his first four starts than last night in any way, but um, especially when you compare him to the way Jordan Montgomery has been pitching for the Cardinals. But, yeah, I don't know. Um, just, one of, just one of those things where you hope that last night finally turns things around, but, I mean between the Sonny Grays and the Andrew Heaney's of the world, who knows who, what happens when it comes to acquiring starters midseason for the Yankees. About that play, though, um, I saw Twitter really giving it to Glaber and IKF to a lesser extent, but what, what happened there? Because from my point of view, it kind of looked like that the two middle infielders were setting up for a play at third, but everyone else was setting up for a play at home. 
which is why second base was unco- uncovered. I originally thought that Rizzo was supposed to be covering second on that play, but clearly he was being the cutoff man for home plate. So what happened there, I guess? Because I wasn't listening to the broadcast either. Um, I guess less only you can answer this. I I watched the broadcast and he had he had his eye on he had his eye on Alonzo at third the entire time and just completely forgot there was a runner at first. That's from what what I was like. He was just so focused on you know the the runner possibly going home, possibly staying at third, and just didn't even bother paying attention to first base. It was and, so funny because I was coming back to my seat from going to the bathroom. And so the double gets hit and then I see Alonzo stumbling. Yeah. And then I see McNeil held up or caught between. And I was like, okay, McNeil's going to be safe and Glaber's going to hold the ball. So like I put my head down to like go down the stairs and then I hear a bunch of people freaking out and I look up and Pete Alonso's running home and Glaber Torres is running with his head off trying to tag out Jeff McNeil at second base. I mean, I didn't get a great look at it. And when I watched the highlight, IKF was on all fours, right up Glaber's ass. <laughs> what does he do? Like, what is that defensive positioning? And then to be the shortstop of the team, be the quarterback of that defense, essentially, with that position, and to not communicate anything to Glaber is terrible, too. I mean, you need you need to step up in that situation and read what's happening and help him there as well. Yeah, see, so, that's what I thought. That's why I thought that they were setting up for a play at third originally because, again, both of them are up there. And once one of the two middle infielders gets the ball, the natural thing to do is for the other guy to get down to get out of the way of the throw. But, yeah, I don't know. It was just weird. Um, also, Rizzo wasn't really doing anything once he realized that second base was uncovered, which I don't know. Like, I, I think that's why I originally – Thought it was on him just because he was pretty stationary in this place in the middle of the diamond. But I don't know. I think, yeah, uh, I, I, I don't know. I thought it was a little bit unfair to uh, extend the blame entirely on Glaber. Um, I thought it was more of a collective infield brain fart. But what do I know? I was, I, I, I didn't have a great vantage of watching the play from my seats. So, yeah. Luckily, it doesn't affect us. So. Whatever. Yeah. Didn't come back to bite him in the ass. That's all you can ask for. Les, you're up and down. My up of the week is going to be, it's going to be a unique, unique take. My all, my up is going to be Paul O'Neill. And the reason for it being Paul O'Neill is because once again, the war, the, when things seem like they're at rock bottom with the Yankees playing like dog shit for, Six weeks, Paul O'Neill strides or rolls on in from Cincinnati, finally allowed to get permission to Yankee Stadium, and you know he inadvertently willed the team to victory that day, that Sunday afternoon in the Bronx. So, Paul O'Neill, thank you very much for making your way from Ohio to the to the Bronx. Down of the week is going to stick with is going to be Glaber again. I don't know what's going on with this guy, but I. Uh, there's going to be hard decisions that have to get made because the Yankees have too many good prospects coming and Glaber's not really extension worthy. He's playing his way out of town as opposed to staying in town. So 
Labor Torres, I was on your all-star bandwagon at the beginning of the season, but might be riding out of town at the end of this one. Yeah, so I was sitting with my dad at the game last night, and he just says, wasn't this Glaber guy supposed to be a phenom? Yeah. And the answer is yes. I mean, the expectation with Glaber was that he was going to be immediately one of the best players and one of the best young players in baseball, which he was, results-wise, for the first year and second year. And then since then, it's just been nothing but, but hard to understand. He is, he is hard to read. And another thing I think we mentioned on last week's podcast was he doesn't seem to respond very well to, you know, going through a rough stretch. He seems to just, like, continue to pout a little bit. And he's got to grow out of that. I mean, he's 25 years old. I'm 25 years old. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, he's a freaking Major League Baseball player. But I, I think at some point you need to maybe, I don't want to say mature a little bit, but just, you know, be able to move on. Like, it's not the end of the world if you're struggling, but you can't let one mistake turn into another mistake and let it snowball. I'm curious with Glaber if if some of what's gone going on is like some of the faces in the clubhouse is obvi- have obviously changed. You know, yeah, Joe no Gio. Yeah. was his, yeah, that was his closest friend in the in the clubhouse, and you know, it's something that he he doesn't maybe have somebody to lean on when he's going through some tough times. So, you know, it's it's definitely challenging for him, and but wish him the best. Hopefully, he turns around that way. They can hopefully be in contention for a twenty eighth championship, but. He's got to pull it together because they've got Peraza, they've got Cabrera, they've got uh, Volpe coming. These guys either need positions or they're going to need positions. And if you're not pulling your weight, then someone else is going to take the job. Well, I don't know if it's any of the changes because I think every year it's something with him. Last year was a whole shortstop thing that completely they, got into his head. And that doesn't really have to do with anyone on the team. Um, yeah. I don't know though, but I, I think I think a lot. I, I I do think, for whatever reason, you can gauge a lot about how the Yankees vibes are just by the play and the demeanor of Glaber Torres. Um, when he's hitting the ball the other way, when he's hitting the ball hard, when he's um, not making both physical and mental errors in the middle of the infield, the Yankees generally do pretty well. When he is uncompetitive at bats, Glaber Torres, who is not even putting the ball in play, who is throwing the ball all over the place or not throwing the ball at all in the infield, then that's when the Yankees really start to struggle. So I don't know. He definitely does seem like the guy who wears his emotions on his sleeve, which is, I guess, just very unexpected because, frankly, when he first came up, I thought he was going to be better than Aaron Judge and all the other young Yankees. He really did in terms of from an eye test point of view, he looked like he was going to be the best ball player out of all of them, but hasn't turned out that way. Sure. His rookie year, he had 24 home runs, 2019, he hit 38 home runs. Yeah. But all of them were against, were against the Orioles. (laughs) Well, yeah, all of them were against the Orioles, but he hasn't hit half of that since he hit nine home runs last year. So he's, uh, yeah, He's definitely in a pretty prolonged slump, and he's got to figure it out. It's tough. It's definitely tough. I don't know. I mean, 
I, he's, he also seems to be pressing a lot. He hasn't drawn a walk in a while, I think. So like right. he's just he's just at the plate trying to make something happen, and that's never going to go well. If you're going up every time trying so hard to make something happen, baseball's as hard as a sport as there is. It's it's hard to overthink it on top of that. So my up of the week is none other than Isaiah Kiner Falefa. And I say this because it basically comes after last night where he played, I think, his best game as shortstop as a Yankee. Obviously, that is uh, recency bias and uh, me being at the game and watching him play it being biased. But he made some really good plays at shortstop, specifically that double play he turned with Glaber, where Glaber also made a nice play. Yep. But more on IKF. Where do you think IKF is on the defensive run saved leaderboard for shortstop this season? I know the answer, so I'm going to bow out. We also, yeah, we we definitely all know the answers to some of these these stat, these questions because it was it was a pretty heated conversation in our group chat today. <laughs> True, Everywhere. I kind of I... forgot that I literally told you guys this today. <laughs> I mean, um, I mean, be, 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 between the activity on Twitter and the. Literally, when I I took a call, and then I looked at my phone, and I had 85 messages all from that group chat. I was like, what are you guys talking about? I mean, look, when I get passionate about something, I, I go after a full tilt. Um, fifth. Fifth in defensive run saved among shortstop, shortstops. About two weeks ago, he was like 17th. So huh. kind of confirms the eye test. He has looked a lot better at shortstop the last two weeks or so. I think he's gotten over his early season yips. I think he's calmed down a little bit. He still double clutches for some weird reason. It is what it is. But, like, he stopped, like, bouncing the ball to, sh- to Rizzo. He's just doing what he's expected to do, to do, which is come here and be an above-average defensive third base or defensive shortstop. So credit to IKF because... With all the noise about Peraza and replacing IKF, takes a lot to lock in and play shortstop for the Yankees and do it well. Granted, he can't hit, but he's doing his job at short, and that's all I can ask for right now. I mean, to be sure, a sure-handed shortstop is in itself valuable, even if you're not hitting that much. So IKF, good for you. Keep doing what you're doing. I think he could end up finishing the season. I mean, he's got eight defensive runs saved right now. The leader is Nico Horner, who's 13. He has more defensive runs saved than Carlos Correa, Francisco Lindor, Corey Seager, some of the household names. That's all expected, by the way. Explain yourself. Oh, I mean, he's supposed to be one of the better defensive shortstops in the game. So, I mean, having a better DRS than the guys you just mentioned should be the expectation, no? Not only is it the expectation, it's literally happening. Good. Finally. Welcome to 2022, IKF. (laughs) This was always there. But you guys know my stance on IKF. My doubt of the week is Araldus Chapman. And it's much for the same reason that I gave Albert Abreu my down of the week. Uh, Where the hell did you? Oh, no, I gave Miguel Castro my down of the week, like back in June. Where the hell did you go, chap? You're, You're pitching fine. Everything was going well, and now you can't pitch anymore? What? 
You're not able to be used once in the last three games. What the hell is going on? Yeah, I mean, it's a disappearing act. It was a pretty quick fall from grace, huh? It was doing well. That, 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 Evan, that's the most confusing part about all of this. Like when Chapman came in on Friday, I was like, oh, great. Chapman, like he's been pitching well lately. He'll get the job done. And like I said before, the next thing I know, I'm I've had two full conversations and he's pitched to two batters and is about to get pulled. And I'm like, wow, it really is the in-person version of Aroldis Chapman. Instead of scrolling my phone, I'm talking to strangers around me in my section. Yeah, I mean, he was doing well, and then he has a couple duds, and now he's disappeared again. It's like, what the hell is going on, man? We thought you had, we thought we had you back for a second there, and then last night we have to freaking sweat Clark Schmidt trying to close a game out for three innings. I mean, Boone was doing everything he could to get Clark Schmidt to finish that freaking game last night. Yeah, because he couldn't do it. Is Wandy Peralta the closer right now? Because that is not good. Yes. I don't think Wandy Peralta, Peralta is on his team next year. Wandy Peralta is a high leverage king, Cameron. So I think we he is the closer, more... right? Yeah, I mean, he's the <laughs> I closer. Mean, There's no one else. Maybe Ron Or, yeah. Or, or is it Marinaccio? Is it Clark Schmidt who is like slowly turning into the next job at Chamberlain? Just make him, my, just make him Michael Ooh. King 2.0 and call it a day. Actually, Marinaccio no. has turned into the man. He's, he's good. Okay. Prediction time, as we do. Four games against the Oakland A's. We'll give it... Let's just do that. You want to know why? Because Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of next week, I have a fantasy draft back-to-back-to-back days because it is that beautiful time of year where I get excited about the Jets, I get excited about fantasy football, only to let myself down by the end of September. But this next two-week stretch is as hope as hopeful as I get as a football fan in every aspect. And that's all I ever get as you can relate to less you, you too, honestly, the giants are, are, no, are no fun these days. No, he's an, he's I know you're an Eagles. Fan. You're a freaking I, Eagles like, fan. I am an Eagles fan and Birds it's a good fan. time to be an Eagles fan. And it's a good time to be. Um, Birds fan. <laughs> so a uh, full disclosure, my uh, NFL loyalties these days are to my wallet, which has done very well over the last couple of years. So I'm very Start posting your picks. Let's just turn pinstripe perspective into a football. Uh, oh, it's not my. Oh, it's not. It's not. It's not my picks. Um, it's uh, my. I've won two leagues in the last three years. Uh, I do well okay. in DFS. Um, it's funny though. One year I actually won one league and came in last in the other. <laughs> so, that's so how it goes. who knows? So, tell so what anyway, you're saying is. Oh, so real going. quick, what you're saying is, uh, you know, if you really are, if you really want some expert Cameron Toe picks. You should subscribe to our oncoming Patreon page. Either that or come January or February, um, hit me up because I will be definitely footing the bill for some dinners. Anyway, four now. They're gonna sweep the they're gonna sweep the A's. Sweeping them. Absolutely. Clean slate there, Toe. Oh and four. No, you don't mean that. I mean you don't Stop. mean that. And like I'm actually not even gonna allow that. Can you can you give a realistic answer? So, uh, you know what? Fine. Own four. You know what? Wear the own four. I don't even care. And you're just doing it because it's the toe thing to do. And that's okay. But I'm, I'm going to allow it so that, again, I can timestamp and we can come back next week on Monday night 
when the Yankees are fresh off a sweep. So I kind of wish you put the Angels series in there because then I actually would have said three and four. Ooh, spicy. So, 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 so get swept by Oakland and then sweep the Angels. Welcome to 2021 and 2022. This team is the shriekiest team I've ever seen in my life. Gerald absolutely go 7-0. Uh, the, only, the only thing that gives me some apprehension on and uh, the series against uh, the Angels is that this team has no bullpen right now. Um, so it's going to be really a lot of relying on the starters and kind of just praying and hoping that Ron Marinaccio, Clark Schmidt, and Wandy Peralta, and Lucas Lickie can lead you to the promised land. No faith in Lou Trevino. And, of course, Lou Trevino. Who, By the way, Lou Trevino pitched how many innings the other day? He's not, I, I, I don't know. I, I want to see Lou Trevino more, I think. Um, well, but yeah. I mean, you have no choice. You will, I think, <laughs> coming yeah. up. So that'll be fun. Any other final thoughts? We spent a lot of this podcast talking about Yankee Stadium. But I love talking about Yankee Stadium, so I guess it's okay. Any final thoughts? Any, any send-offs? Before we wrap up, I did notice looking at the schedule that outside of, I think, one series against the Pirates, some random Tuesday and Wednesday um, at the end of September, all of the home opponents are AL East rivals for the rest of the year. No, there's one series against the Twins starting Labor Day, and then the series against the Pirates that I just talked about. But other than that, yeah, it's a lot of Rays, Red Sox, and Orioles coming up. I don't know how to feel about that. But yeah. It is what it is. Just wake me up for the ALDS. My final thought. I think. Oh, go ahead, Les. No, no I was going to say, this kind of feels like, um, for those of you that are following the home run chase, this kind of feels like Aaron Judge could go on a run in these next seven games. He's one one game, either one game or one home run behind Maris's pace right now. And, you know, playing against some lousy teams like Oakland and the Angels, he could make up some ground. Judge is a West Coast boy, so maybe he gets comfortable. I think Cole Irvin pitched today, so he will miss Cole Irvin, who he hits a homer off every time he faces. That is unfortunate. I think Judge is going to do it. I, I think Judge is going to hit. I think Judge is going to hit 61 this year because he hits him in bunches, and he's doing it. He's in mid bunch right now. Yeah. So my theory is the Yankees are going to make in a decision that comes from the ownership level to oh, no. rest his ass as much as possible during no the month of September. No way. Because no, you, know many, they you know many. You know many. You know. You know many freaking. Tickets they're gonna sell like every game will be a sellout yeah, but, if he's close. To yeah, it. but they're but but look to me this is gonna be a hedge for when Artie Moreno makes his final boneheaded contract decision as owner of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim because basically given all of the uncertainty if he does break the record you're gonna have to celebrate it immediately and I don't think Hal Steinbrenner wants any part of that. You know, look at look at look look at how he was just treated at the Paul Neal ceremony. Um, 
he's going to have to come on the field during playoffs. He's going to get all this shit from fans being like, hey, resign the guy, give me a blank check, da 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 And by the way, the Yankees are not going to recruit any of that revenue for seasons to come if he goes to another team. So I don't think I, from, from an ownership perspective, he's going to find it worth it. Aaron Judge is going to be part of rest roulette a lot in the next four weeks. No That's my prediction. way, man. Look at these. I disagree. They have in September, they've got the Twins. They've got the Pirates, a bunch against Boston and the Brewers. Like, man, September is going to if you're Aaron Judge. Fan, oh, I, oh, I'm not saying I'm not saying that he yeah. can't do it. I'm saying that he's going to be prevented from doing it by it. the guy who signed his paychecks. No way. Maybe you're right, but that would be freaking insane. And talk about a vibe killer before going to the playoffs. My goodness. Talk about a surefire way to lose in the ALDS to the Guardians. Um, my final thought. Today was made official. Next year, every team will play every other team in MLB. The Yankees are opening at Yankee Stadium against the San Francisco Giants, uh, where Aaron Judge will be playing in Yankee Stadium as a member of those San Francisco Giants. So that'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> But luckily, it'll be a ring ceremony. So, like, he'll get his he'll get his ring, and it'll be happily ever after. He got his horrible contract from the Giants, and you know, everyone everyone's hunky dory. What do you think the vibe will be that day, man? I don't know, but that's gonna be one of those things you got to be there for. Are we gonna be happy? <laughs> if they win a World Series, I'll be happy. Definitely. Well, I mean, that's us gonna... because like we understand how this works. What about? Everyone else who's like, resign, Aaron Judge. Yeah, resign. Um, I think people, I, I, I think all anyone cares about right now from a Yankee fan perspective is winning a World Series. And What's the Murray Hill equivalent of San Francisco? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> what? More inside New York stuff. Okay. And just some Manhattanite dumb talk. So I uh, have bookmarked a lot of your very suspect takes this podcast. We'll be circling back on those when the time comes. Please remember to give us a follow on Twitter at Pinstripe Purse. If it looks like Pinstripe Peppers, you are looking at the right Twitter handle. You can follow Les at LesWilliams23 on Twitter. You can follow Toe at underscore C-Toe, C-T-O-H. You can follow myself at Coles. 0206. As always, please share the podcast with everyone and anyone that you know. We spoke some about the Mets today, so if you have Mets fans friends, send it to them too. I'm sure they'll enjoy this episode and us kind of bashing Yankee Stadium in all of its glory. Um, no Matt Gerald today. Maybe he'll actually listen to his own podcast, though, so that would be cool. And um, without Shout further to Matt ado, Gerald. He's a good friend. He's a good friend. Yeah, Matt Gerald's a good friend. More on that to come next week. But without further ado, as always, go Yanks.